0: There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study, all of you that are here and those of you on Zoom and those of you that watch the recordings later. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. Those of you that are here, there's Bibles on that back table if you need a Bible or you probably have one on your phone. Most people do. Yeah, just on that back table there. We're in Revelation 7. I like to give you a backstory each Bible study just to let you know where we are. Revelation is a book of prophecy mainly. The apostle John, the only one still alive at this time, it's the late 90s of the first century. Jesus has been uh, resurrected for more than 60 years. John's writing this while he's on the island of Patmos as a prisoner, and God gives him these tremendous revelations, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's going on, what we've seen is the letters to the seven churches. We've seen the view in chapter one of the exalted Jesus who looks very different from what John remembers, the carpenter in Nazareth. Um, We have seen a scroll that is the whole focus of chapter five with seven seals on it and no one worthy to open it until Jesus shows up and he's the one that's worthy to open each of the seven seals and reveal what's in the scroll. The scroll is probably all the contents of the book of Revelation, God's plan to wrap up planet earth in every way to tie up every loose end, punish all sin, the return of Christ, the rightful ruler on planet earth, and punish all sin. We've been saying the last two weeks that all sin on planet earth Has to be punished. God is a fair judge. Well, I've read that God is love. Yes, that's true as well. But if your view of God doesn't include the fact that He has to be a fair judge and judge all sin, then you've got an incomplete view of God. God is so fair, He must judge all sin, but He's made a provision to judge it either one of two ways. Number one, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will pay for your sin forever. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that his death on the cross paid for your sins, he took your guilt and your shame and was punished for it. God's wrath fell on him instead of on planet earth, which is happening soon in Revelation. Then your sins are already forgiven. Praise God. The Bible says you already have present tense eternal life. John, 1 John 5, these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. What a glorious thing. So where we are now is we've seen um, the seals um, opened. The first seal was, remember the first four were riders on horses, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. First horse was white. We talked about how a few scholars think that's Jesus Christ. Most do not. I do not. I believe it's a false piece and the showing up of the Antichrist. He's an imitator of Jesus. He's got a bow with no arrows. Do you remember? He's got a different kind of crown. Jesus has many crowns in, John, in Revelation 19. This guy has a temporary crown that was given to him. I believe it's Antichrist. Seal number two was um, the red horse, war on the earth. Now, you may hear that and think, as you're going to say, hear some of these other things, but there's always been war, and that's true. But at the time of the end, a seven-year period of time at the end of human history, all of these things will be, Jesus called them, listen, birth pangs, meaning far more intense and far and they get closer and closer and closer together in time. So major war is occurring. That's Revelation 6, 3 to 4. Um, the third seal is famine, um, which is uh, the black horse. Supply shortages, we said last week, we talked about um, extreme inflation. Does that ring a bell to anybody nowadays? It talks about how, we talked about how last week, a man could work a full day and buy somewhere between 12 and 16 meals with that money. John writes in uh, in Revelation 6, 5, and 6, that a man can work at this time all day and buy enough food for one person. Huge shortages of food, which makes the price go way up. Fourth seal, a pale horse, widespread death. In fact, shockingly, a quarter of the world's population dies. They're killed by the sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts. Do you remember that last week? Um, we talked about the wild beast that has killed more human beings than any other on planet Earth. And it's not lions, tigers, bears, and snakes. It's rats. Remember, we talked about that last week. Could that be figured in there? Perhaps. I mentioned last week, I'm probably going to try to mention it almost every week, because Revelation is a book you got to fasten your seatbelt because some crazy stuff goes on on planet Earth. Some people read it and say, my gosh, God is such a mean guy. Listen, he has to punish all sin, and he could do it that fast and he doesn't. He takes seven years as a final warning to people to get on their knees and receive the Lord Jesus. There's mercy in all these things. My old pastor at Twin Lakes Church, Pastor Kraft in Santa Cruz, used to say, what does God have to do to get your attention? That's how he talked. I won't do the voice anymore, but he used to talk that way, and he used to say, some people only look up when they're in a hospital bed and there's nowhere else to look. What does God have to do? Well, God's getting people's attention here. Many are dying, but some, will, we're about to learn, are coming to faith in Christ. The fifth seal was that those that were martyred, killed for their faith during the tribulation, are under the altar praying for vengeance. And God says, wait a little while, it's coming, basically. That's uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. We just had the sixth seal, a huge earthquake, a massive upheaval, Sun, moon, stars, everything is out of whack. Remember all that? The sun turns black. The moon turns blood red. The heavens receded like a scroll rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is not a localized earthquake in the Bay Area or LA or wherever, Tokyo, Alaska. This is widespread um, shaking, if you will. The survivors at the end of chapter 6 hide in caves. They're unbelievers. They cry out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Do you remember that? Fall on us and hide us from God and from the wrath of the lamb. They know it's God. They just refuse to repent. But chapter six, I want you to look at the last verse of chapter six. It's verse 17. Do you see it there? So I know that you're awake say amen. Amen. Oh man, you guys are awake. Those of you on Zoom, can you say amen or wave or there's, I see an amen sign or two. Beautiful. Okay. The last verse of chapter 16, that's our little review. says, for the great day of their wrath, there refers to the Lamb and God from the previous verse, the wrath of the Lamb. Do you see it there? And from he who sits on the throne, that's God the Father. For the great day of their wrath has come. And here comes the question and who can stand earthquakes everywhere all these phenomena god's really getting people's attention but who can stand chapter 7 what we've had to this point is seal after seal after seal being opened the seventh seal has not been opened that's chapter 8 chapter 7 there's no seal there's a pause because god is going to mention a parenthesis a, a, his mercy Okay. And he's going to answer the question. He's going to take a whole chapter to answer that question. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That's what's going to be answered. Okay. Uh, A little interlude before we get to the seventh uh, seal. Okay. Revelation 7. uh, I got to give you a little introduction here. I warned you when we started studying this book. This is my third time teaching this book, going back to the early 90s. I did it again in the early 2000s, and I was crazy enough to do it again now. This is by far Revelation, the hardest book to teach. Because if you're honest, you have to say at certain points, well, this scripture here could mean this. And there's a lot of scholars that think it means this and there's even some that think it means this, and so you're waiting for Mr. Know It All to tell you. But here's what it really means. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not sure. Okay, this is one of those times. Not immediately, but it's going to come up quickly in the in this chapter. Um, let's see what else do I have for introduction. So this is a little interlude of all those seals and everything happening. There's a change in tone. It's a moment of calm, and there's a moment of hope. Um, there's still an opportunity for people to be saved. Uh, Do we want to talk about that now? No. The answer to the question, who can stand? I'll just tell you is believers and that's it. And you may ask, well, why, why can believers stand and not all the other people? What about the billionaires that have all kinds of money? Look, there's all kinds of phenomena occurring. No one is safe. Why can the, believers stand. They're special people. They're good people. Wrong, wrong. The reason they can stand is their sins have been forgiven. God has no wrath against them. All that wrath he had on all that sin, all that anger was on Jesus 2000 years ago. So he's going to seal some people in this chapter and protect them. Um, We already talked about that. Um, You know what? Before we do this, go to Psalm 91. I can't resist doing this. So you say, where's Psalms? And it's roughly the middle of your Bible. If you flip to the middle of your Bible, you might come to Proverbs. Take a left. If you go to Isaiah, take a left. Go to Psalm 91. We're not going to be here long. You say, I thought we were here to study Revelation. I know, but trying to keep you awake. Psalm 91. I want you to hear how God protects his people. Did you hear that? Because that's you. That's me. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence of covid It will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the who? Wicked. You say, well, wait, I I was pretty wicked, but you've been forgiven. You're a new person. We could go on, but I just wanted you to see that. Go back to Revelation. You remember Revelation, right? At the end, it's easy to find. Okay, chapter one, uh, chapter seven, sorry. After this, metatauto, it's his favorite word in this book. After this, after this, one other quick thing. Not all of this is a key thing to understand the book of Revelation. Not all of Revelation is chronological in order time-wise. Often the author will do what they do in movies, a flashback. Oh, here's what happened when he was a little boy. You know how they do that in movies? They also in Revelation do what's called a proleptic look. It's a fancy word. All it means is a flash forward. We're going to see one in this chapter. Okay, now that you're fully confused, let's move on. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. There's been all this judgment, and all of a sudden, John sees this vision, and four angels are standing on the four corners of the earth. No, it doesn't mean the earth is flat. It means the four points of the compass, right? Holding back the wind. Old Testament, many places, wind is a picture of God's judgment. It's like God says after six seals, time out. You know, like in a football game or any other game, everything stops. Time out. I got some important business, he says. All that judgment holding back all four of the uh, uh, winds from each direction, north, south, east, west, if you will. So uh, let's see. So this is halfway through the seven-year tribulation is where we are. Uh, I'm going to tell you more about the seals later, but we'll come back to that. Um, So uh, in Zechariah 6, there's four horses with chariots, oddly enough, same four colors we just read in the seals. Remember those four horsemen? And wind is associated with them. Uh, so he's holding back uh, the winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Stop all the judgment, God says, time out. Verse two. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. Okay. Remember we talked about the seals on the scroll. A scroll would be a rolled up sort of piece of paper, many long, a big long piece of paper, and it would be rolled up in two, I'm not doing this very well, but two little scroll halves like this, and would be sealed with string, and the seal would be wax. And the person, if he was powerful and wealthy, would have a signet ring with his... You know, if my name is Sherino, so mine would might have an S on it and you would get the wax and drip it on there while it's soft and put your signet ring in each seal. The seal meant ownership. It meant protection of the document so nobody could mess with it. Um, It meant that it was the complete document. No one's going to add to it kind of thing. Okay, now that I made a mess with the paper, let's move on. Um, So he's got a seal and it's not anybody's in particular. It's the seal of who? The living God. It's God's actual seal. Is this a literal seal? No, he's, it's figurative, right? It's its Symbolism is being used. Another angel coming up from the east, seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who'd been given power to harm the land and the sea. Okay, they're ready to carry out God's judgment, and he shouts to them, verse three, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until see how it's a pause meaning not forever there will be harm on the earth until something happens don't harm the land the sea or the trees until we put a seal on some people certain ones question is why on the seal uh, uh, put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Okay. Then I heard the number, verse four, of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, what follows is a list of the t- tribes of Israel, and there's 12,000 of each. Okay. Remember what I warned you about earlier? The If you're honest and you're teaching Revelation, you got to say, it might mean this, and it might mean this. I usually look at four or five commentaries or people giving sermons for any given passage to plus the other books that I look at i bet i've been through 20 to 25 this week and really good scholars disagree on who these 144,000 are the majority view i think is going to surprise you okay and i'm going to tell you that i don't even think the majority view is right but I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time for me. Okay, so let's look at this passage. What's going on? These people are being sealed with God's seal. Where is it going to go? On their forehead. Remember that in chapter 13, there is a world leader called the Antichrist, and he is nothing but a copycat, okay? anti Christ there's, if you read chapter 13, we'll get there eventually, probably take 20 years, but in chapter 13, there's a fake resurrection of the Antichrist. One of his heads, we'll talk about that later, is wounded with a fatal wound. If you know anything about wounds, there's wounds and then there's fatal wounds. What does a fatal wound mean? The guy died and then he comes back from the dead. The whole world's going to marvel at that. He fa- he, he's uh, uh, imitating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's even a fake trinity in chapter 13, where there's the devil, the false prophet, and the antichrist, false trinity. Here, God is sealing his people with a seal on their forehead. Guess what the antichrist does at the end of chapter 13? He seals all the unbelievers by telling them you can't buy or sell anything unless you take a mark on your forehead or your right hand why those two areas most conspicuous right it wouldn't be on your foot because then you have to take your sandal off or your nike shoes off or whatever forehead or right hand god seals his people satan seals his ownership and uh control over in some way Uh, let's see. We already talked about that. So an imprint on wax. Is it a wax thing? Can you see it on people? I don't think so. But there are movies and books written about this time where Christians look at each other and I can see the one on his head and he can see the one on mine, but unbelievers can't see it. I don't know that you can say it's visible or not. The question is, who are these 144,000 people? A. B. Is the number literal... Or figurative? Is it just symbolic for a big number? So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, and it might surprise you, the two theories. Um, one cool thing the word for a mark uh, that he's marking people in Hebrew, it's the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tau, T A U, or it looks like T A V sometimes. You say, So what? You're going to love this. I love this. Guess what the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet looks like? It's not a big one. It's a little T, as in Thomas. But in our fonts, a T can have a little tail on it and the little thing. Not so. In Hebrew, it's a straight line down and a straight line across, about three quarters of the way up. What does that look like to you? It looks like a little cross. What a coincidence. No. Isn't that cool? He's marking them. The word mark is that letter, like a little T, like a tiny cross. Um, John six twenty seven says God the Father set his seal on Jesus as the Messiah and totally protected him until it was time for him to die. Do you remember that? Um, the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, we are sealed with. All believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So this is not an unusual thing. Every single believer has the seal, the down payment of the Holy Spirit, that we're his. Um, This is some unusual sealing during the tribulation time, the last seven years of human history. Um, Some have said that's on the forehead because it's the control center of the human body, the brain, you know, the mind kind of thing. Um, Later on in chapter 14, and we'll look at it in a second. We're going to see these same 144,000 again later, and they're with Jesus in Jerusalem. Still safe, still good to go. Uh, we already talked about that. This kind of a seal of protection is just like in Egypt. You remember the Jews were there. Those plagues happen. Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses, Pharaoh says, no way, get lost. Moses says, okay, but God told me I'm going to... God's going to bring plagues on this land and Pharaoh doesn't believe it. You remember the final plague of the 10 is the death of the firstborn in every household, even down to the first, the oldest of the cattle, you know, children, the calves, I should say, or the baby lambs, the oldest one in every household, people, lambs, chickens, whatever, is going to die. God tells the Jews, but not you. He sort of puts their seal on him and says, you guys, each household, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. When the angel of death comes over, he'll see the blood, reminiscent of what? A lamb dying blood, Jesus, right? He'll see the blood and will pass over. Your firstborns won't be harmed everybody else's will. It's exactly what happened. This is sort of the same thing. God's going to protect these people for a specific period of time. While all hell is breaking loose on earth, listen, this is important. I've been saying this every week. There are two major things going on during the seven-year tribulation. Thing number one, God is pouring out his wrath on sinful mankind. If you're alive at that time, whether you're one of the 144,000 or not, I believe you will not be harmed by God's wrath. Wait, even if there's hailstones falling and earthquakes and I, yes, because God knows I'm not doing this to harm my children, I'm doing this to harm the unbelievers as judgment and also to draw them to Jesus. But you, why would he pour out his wrath on you when he already did your punishment on Jesus? However, unbelievers will feel that wrath. That's that's the good news. You want the bad news now? At the same time, for the second half of the seven years, three and a half years, Antichrist, the one world emperor, leader, dictator, is pouring out his wrath on Christians and Jews. Will we be immune from that? I don't think so. I'll show you in Revelation 13 where it says if you're destined to die and you're a believer, you'll die. If you're destined to go into captivity, prison, you, that might happen to you. It's happened to every generation of Christians. Why would we be any different? Ken, do you have a question back there? Oh. And I got to ask you make it one sentence so I can repeat it because they can't hear you on Zoom. Manasseh, the tribe, only half of it in the... Okay, yeah, we'll get to the tribes. Yes, Manasseh. I, I, I got you. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's next verse is coming up, but stand by for now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the big question you're waiting for Mr. Know-It-All to tell you is, who are the 144,000? Okay, like I said, I really, really researched this more than usual, and uh, I'm surprised to tell you that the majority position is that these are not Jews who convert to Christianity, which is what's usually taught. I'll show you why. And then I'll show you why I think they're wrong. But anyway, it's either, here's the two theories. It's converted Jews. They've come to faith in Jesus at this last time by God's grace, drawn by the Holy Spirit. And they're suddenly on fire in a good way for the Lord Jesus witnessing everywhere. Okay. The other theory is it is a picture of all believers and the number 144,000, the tribes, the 12,000 is all just symbolic, okay? That's the two main theories. There's a few other theories. That's the two main ones. And most scholars think it's not converted Jews. It's a symbolic thing for all believers. Okay, so uh, we already talked about that numbers are sometimes symbolic in the bible that's true okay my own theory about numbers is uh, and there's a saying that goes like this about interpreting the bible when the clear sense of the text makes good sense seek no other sense okay um So I kind of live by that. I'll I'll get to that in a second. Okay, here's why they think the numbers are symbolic. First of all, there's a list of the 12 tribes. Do you see them there in the verses that follow? 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, Gad, Ash. There's the 12 tribes. What's the problem, Joe? There's 19 other lists of the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And this isn't like any of them. The tribe of Dan is missing. There's no such thing as the tribe of Joseph. See that in verse 8? Because Joseph got a double portion. He was a a child of Jacob, but he got a double portion. So he got two tribes, his two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. You say, well, okay, Uh, Manasseh's there in verse 6. Why Joseph? Where's Ephraim? Okay, we'll get to the, the answer to those. But that's one of the reasons they say it's all symbolic. It just means believers during the tribulation are sealed. We already know they're sealed anyway. This seems like it's some special sealing. Uh, and I don't mean sealing. I mean sealing. Okay. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. It's symbolic, they say, because look, 12 tribes times 12 apostles. Got that? 144 times 1,000, the number four, completion. It's a big number. Um, let's see, let's take a brief detour, go to Galatians. So take a left and go about nine or 10 books back, maybe 12. Now that I think about it after the two Corinthian books, it's the next one over. Uh, if you're not a page turner, that's okay. We're going to be very quick in these. I just want you to see something in the Bible, why these people think what they think. Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, Galatians 3, 29. Listen, if you belong to Christ, is that you? Yes. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wait, Abraham's seed is Jewish people, right? He's the father of the Jewish religion. This verse is saying if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. In other words, what they're saying is spiritual Israel. Okay, now stay in Galatians, go to chapter 6, go to verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. He's talking about uh, Christians, even to the Israel of God. They're being used as a synonym for Christians. The question is, does God have Israel, Old Testament, and now is the church Israel? Or is there still Israel that God's going to deal with? Romans 9, 10, and 11 says there's still a real Israel over there in the Middle East, Jewish people God's going to deal with. But I'm just trying to give you both sides of this. I'm not trying to confuse you. Go to Romans, so take a left from Galatians, three books to the left. Romans chapter 2. You won't be here long, and like I said, you don't have to be a page-turner if you don't want to. Romans 2, 28 and 29. A man is not a Jew If he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code, the law. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Stay in Romans. Go to 4.11. We'll do this quickly, hopefully. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by by faith. He's talking about Abraham. Uh, while he was still uncircumcised, so then he is the father of all the Jews? No. All who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. In other words, there's a sense in which we are all spiritual children of Abraham. The question is in Revelation 7, is he talking about spiritual children of Abraham Abraham, or literal children of Abraham? Okay, one more and then we'll quit. uh, I'm sorry, Romans... Lost my place. Romans 9, 6, and 7. Romans chapter 9, 9, 10, and 11 is all about the Jewish people. It's not Romans 9, 6. It's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. In other words, there's people that, I'm Jewish by nationality, but they don't read the Torah. They don't follow God's commandments. They don't pray to him. They're Jewish in name only if you will. So these people that believe that this is the 144,000 is just spiritual Israel, meaning all Christians is who he's talking about. That's why they think it. Some of the best scholars I love and listen to subscribe to this. I was surprised to hear. Okay. One last thing. Go to Revelation 5, uh, just for a second with me. Revelation chapter 5. I'll show you an odd thing, and it's going to happen again in chapter 7. Revelation 5. Um, I think it's verse 3. Uh no one can open the scroll. Uh oh no, go back a little before that. Mm-hmm. I saw a mighty angel, verse 2, proclaiming who's worthy to open the seals. No one, verse 3, can open it or even look inside. I wept, verse 4. Then one of the elders said to me do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root root of David has triumphed. That's Jesus. He's able to open it. Okay, so he hears the elders say, don't worry, the lion's got this. you with me so far? Now watch, it's a weird thing that happens. So verse 6, John turns in verse 6, and then I saw a lion. No. He heard about a lamb. He turned and saw a Lamb. I uh, heard about a lion, turned and saw a lamb. You with me? Well, who are they? It's the same person. The lion is the lamb. You with me? Now go to chapter seven and this, watch how the same thing happens. Um, the four angels, uh, verse two, he called out in a loud voice. Don't harm them. Uh, don't harm the land of the sea, until I put a seal, we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. That's what he hears about. He heard the number, just like he heard the lion, 144. But in verse 9, I looked, and there before me, what he sees is a great multitude. Everybody agrees, by the way, this great multitude is all believers. How do you know that? Look at it, uh, still in verse 9. A great multitude no one could count from every listen nation tribe people language he's going out of his way to show you it's japanese people it's irish people it's even italians are there right every well maybe not but i'm kidding okay so for that reason they think um that it's spiritual israel the same way uh it's uh, th- these are two groups seen at different times 144,000 as the tribulation's beginning. The multitude we're about to see is after the tribulation with uh, God. Okay. Um, do we want to do that now? We got to go to the tribes in a second. Um, and we already talked about the flashbacks and all of that. Okay. So the other theory uh Oh, you know what? Let's look at one more thing. Go to Revelation 14, just to make it even harder to understand now. How many are totally confused? Let me see your hands. Okay, just me? Okay, no, one, two, there's four or five of us. Six. Revelation 14, it gets even weirder. Um, there's, the, there's the Lamb, Jesus, on Mount Zion in, in chapter 14, verse 1. See him? And who's he with? The 144,000. They have his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. And uh, no one can learn the song, verse 3, except the 144,000. Who are these people, John? Verse 4, these are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They're virgins. 144,000? So is it only Jewish men then? They didn't defile themselves with women or is that symbolic for spiritual adultery where if i have if i say i'm a christian and then i go worship baal or some or money or sex or power or fame or drugs or whatever i'm committing listen spiritual adultery aren't i i love you god i worship you only except i like to go over here and worship and jimbeam and drink some alcohol okay So that's why they think what they think. Now I'm going to tell you the other theory, and I'm going to tell you I think this is the right one. And then we're going to look at the tribes. Are you still awake? Awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, not as awake as you were. You guys on Zoom, are you awake? Okay. Um, Okay. Let's look at the names of the 12 tribes. And it's a weird list. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000. By the way, let me back up in verse 4. I heard the number of who were sealed, 144,000, from all the tribes of Israel. Tribes. If he means Christians, there's no tribes, unless he means the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Assembly of God, right? Like, come on. It sounds very Jewish to me. 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Okay, parenthesis, Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies, predictions about the Messiah that's going to come, right? I can imagine rabbis 100 years before Jesus is born talking about those uh, prophecies, okay? And they're saying, well, what could this possibly mean here? It says Bethlehem. Well, that could be symbolic because Bethlehem means house of bread. So we have to consider that. No, it was literal. He was born in Bethlehem. Oh, it says he'd be born of a virgin. Now, see, that could mean. No, it means literally he was what? Born of a virgin. Oh, look at this Psalm 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. What could that mean? Well, you see, the piercing could be symbolic. It was literally his hands and his feet. It says he'll be betrayed by a close friend in Zechariah for 30 pieces of silver. Now, what could that mean? It's literal, hello, just like, in my opinion, and you may disagree, in Genesis, there's seven days of creation. But couldn't those be billions of years? I suppose they could. But why go out of your way and say, day one, This happened, and there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. I believe it was a day, okay? Literal. When the clear sense makes perfect sense, don't seek any other sense. Okay, uh, 12,000, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. I think these are saved Jews who were Jewish and were saying no thanks to Jesus, and God, and by his Holy Spirit, gets a hold of them at this time and saves them argument. Yeah, but wait a minute, most Jews don't even know what tribe they're from. All that information was lost in 70 AD when they burned down the temple, and most Jews think they know what tribe they're in. You know what? I don't care. God knows, right? This Jewish guy going, I don't know, it could be Asher, my family, or Reuben, or Naphtali, or Simeon. God goes, I got this, right? I think it's 12,000 from each of these tribes. That exact number? Yes. Doesn't John know how to say a big number? Those words exist, right? Okay, let's look at the list. Tribe of Judah is first. That's weird. Jewish, when they list the tribes, it should be Reuben. He's the oldest. But Reuben sinned. And what? who is this Judah guy? Judah means praise. Judah is the tribe of King David, and wait for it, Jesus Christ. No wonder his tribe is first. Who's second? Reuben, the firstborn. Um, Reuben, okay, where, where's my notes? There we go. So Re- Judah means praise or praise God. Reuben, and by the way, before we're done, I'm going to show you that this list of the tribes, if you read what the each name means in order they form a really cool sentence just like genesis 5 i won't bore you with that now but i might later okay um okay so judah is first praise or praise god reuben by sin he lost his privilege for the birthright to be first reuben means wait for it behold a son is that cool so far, we have, praise God, behold, a son. Okay, third, uh, where are we? Gad, the tribe of Gad. Gad means good fortune comes. Asher, next one, means blessed, uh, or God has blessed me. Naphtali, a strange name. Name means wrestlings. Most scholars think it means the wrestlings of humanity. In life, we wrestle with addictions. We wrestle with sin. We wrestle with the world. We wrestle with the devil. Wrestlings. Manasseh means God made me forget my sorrow. God made me forget my sorrow. Forgetting. Forgetting the things that are behind, the sin, the pleasures, the old me, the worldliness of Egypt. God made me forget my sorrow. Simeon means hearing, or it can mean God hears, as in when we pray, he hears. Um, And it's hearing that brings obedience uh, also in the name. The tribe of Levi is there, the priestly tribe. What's wrong with that, Joe? He's not in any other list wait, wait a minute, it's a tribe of Israel, it's the priests, but they didn't get a portion of land, so they're not in any of the lists, separate category, they're priests. Why are they here? That's why the others say, it can't be Israel, there's so many mistakes in this list, can't be right. Levi means joined. Joined to one another, joined to Christ, joined. Uh, Issachar means hire or reward. Usually reward, a reward of grace. Zebulun means dwelling, or it can also mean exalt, dwelling like a house, an exalted house in a sense. Joseph, my name, means he shall add, or adding, A-D-D-I-N-G. Adding numbers, adding grace, adding gifts. Uh, Joseph's not usually in the list, because it's usually Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim is out because um, the Ephraim sinned. Um, That's in Hosea. Idolatry was his sin. What's the big thing in the tribulation? Who are you going to worship? Antichrist or God? Everybody's going to have a mark on their forehead. Visible or not, you're either for God or Antichrist. There won't be a third category. There won't be any middle ground. I'm going to take both marks. You can't do that. I'm not going to take any mark. You can't do that. Uh, we're going to take our two-minute break in a second. Let me just finish the tribes. Benjamin, son of the right hand. That's what it means. Okay. Where's the tribe of Dan? Dan is the tribe that introduced idolatry in Genesis 49. I won't bore you with that description, but man, it's, if that was me and he's descri- Jacob's describing me, I'd be going, wow, not good. Dan is out. The, he, the Hebrews believed the tradition was that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. Is that true? I don't know. Um, okay. So it's a weird list. When you put the names together, and we'll take our break in one minute, I promise, listen to the sentence that it makes. Go ahead, Jim, real quick. What's the meaning of Dan? Oh, you know, I don't have that. I'm so sorry. I don't have it. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Here's the the names. I'm not going to read the title. I'm not going to read Judah and Manasseh and all that. I'm just going to read what they mean. Listen to the sentence that they make. Ready? Praise the Lord. Behold, a son and good fortune comes. Happy and blessed am I. In my wrestling, God has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me. God has joined me, rewarded me, exalted me, or housed me. Some lists have. Adding to me, adding to me, the son of his right hand. It's the gospel. Incredible. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bones. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Those of you that are here, Find your seats, if you will. Those of you that are here, everybody's getting food. People. Another reason to come in person, Jeannie brings food, um, and we all munch out, and we're all gaining weight as a result, uh, me included. Okay, I want to do that sentence once more for you. These are the names of the 12 tribes as listed here like a sentence. It sounds like the gospel. Praise the Lord. Behold, a son, and good fortune comes happy and blessed am i in my wrestling god has made me forget my sorrow god hears me has joined me rewarded me exalted me by adding me adding to me sorry the son of his right hand i just think that's so cool um i can't resist doing the genesis 5 thing really fast um those of you that are coming in with your food find your seats if you will okay In Genesis 5, there's another list, okay? It's the generations from Adam to Noah, okay? Because there's going to be a flood. You got the picture? Each of those names, you know, has a meaning. So the names are Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, uh, and that's it. Got it? 10 generations from Adam to Noah and being American and speaking English, you hear those names and you go, well, so what Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. That's the names. So what Joe, listen to what the names mean. Man, Adam means man. Did you know that? I'll just read you the sentence. Man is appointed, this is the whole gospel story. Listen, man, and this is in Genesis 5. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. I don't know if that blows your mind like it does mine, but that's Genesis 5. The gospel plan was not something God made up, like, what are we going to do? We got to think of something. From all eternity, it was all planned out. Those of you that got food, you missed that whole thing, and you'll have to watch the recording. (laughs) Come on in. The rest of the people are just getting food here. Um, Okay. Um, You know what I might do, Jeannie, is ask for permission for you to be able to have a table back there with the food so that we keep them in here. And I can yell at them, and they'll hear me. Okay. All right. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Some people have a f- mouthful, they go, R-r-r-r. Okay, okay. I believe the 144,000 are Jews that God draws to Jesus Christ, and they realize, Oh no, we missed it all these years. Um, Zechariah says that they, the Jews, will look on them who they have pierced. Isn't that interesting? Before the crucifixion centuries before that was written, and they'll mourn as one mourns for an only son. They'll realize, oh my, we always said this Jesus thing, this Christian thing was not true. They'll realize it's true. Many will come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Some people have wondered, how did these 144,000 Jews become Christians? Is it possible I can't sell this too hard, but in Revelation 11, there's the two witnesses. Do you remember the two witnesses? Most scholars think it's Moses and Elijah. Who better to teach the Jews about Jesus than Moses, the guy for the law, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And they're preaching the gospel in Revelation 11. Yes, we'll get there eventually. It's only a few chapters away, but you have to stay with me here. Okay. these 12 tribes, 12,000 from each one, are not only saved, but sealed. God puts his seal on them. None of the wrath stuff, the falling rocks, the fires, the wind, the, are, is going to harm them. They're going to spread the gospel. If you know Jewish people, they can sell anything and they're going to sell the gospel in a big way. And I don't mean that in a bad sense. I mean, in a great way, Uh, they're going to evangelize the world. This is the threshold of the second half of the tribulation. Um, Okay. This answers the question, who can stand? Are these the only people that can stand? I don't think so. I think all Christians that are alive at that time, the, the wrath of God's already been put on Jesus, they're going to be okay. They can stand. The rest, you're an unbeliever, repent or look out, right? Falling rocks ahead kind of thing. Uh, we already talked about that. Um, and by the same token, I don't know that I could say these 144,000 are definitely protected from Antichrist, Could he arrest and kill some of them? Maybe. I kind of think they're going to get their job done uh, like Jesus was protected until it was his time, right? Um, Okay. Oh, I got to show you one more quick thing. Go to Isaiah 60. Again, if you're not a page turner, you won't get an A in the class, but you'll still get credit. No, I'm just kidding. Isaiah chapter 60. This is a really interesting verse. It might be the fulfillment. It might be fulfilled in what we just read. Isaiah 60. By the way, this is the words to a Christian song. Jeff, who plays music with me, will know what this is. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Um, See, darkness covers the earth. This sounds like the tribulation. And thick darkness is over the people's. This is verse 2 of Isaiah 60. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Okay, here it comes. This is spoken to Jews and it says nations or Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In other words, in the future, Isaiah is prophesying by God's spirit that they, the Jews, will again have the truth of God. They were supposed to spread for centuries, And nations, that means, like I said, every nationality will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In other words, they'll come to your message of the gospel. Uh, That's how I see it anyway. Okay. Um, So let's see. Let's keep moving. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom too, I know you are. Okay. Verse nine. So those people are sealed. Are we going to get back to the seventh seal now and see all hell break loose? Not yet. The whole chapter is a pause because there's the people of God. He's got to remember his people. Look at verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. See the difference? 144,000, that was the number. This crowd is so big, you go, one, two, three. Oh, it's too many. I can't it's like count the sand the grains of sand on the beach in santa cruz right after this i looked there was a great multitude no no one could count who are these people john from every nation tribe people and language okay what are they doing getting judged no they're standing before the throne what was the question who can stand they're standing before the throne and before the lamb throne is the throne of God before the lamb, lamb is Jesus Christ. They were wearing white robes. Where did they get those? That's the righteousness of Christ given to them. White robes. Now we're going to get a lesson in laundry for those of you that do the laundry in your family. And you might be surprised they were wearing. Let's see, where was I? Um, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their Hands. Okay, we'll come back to the laundry lesson that comes later. Okay, why are they wearing white robes? Forgiven. Right? The righteousness of Christ is what they're wearing. They're not wearing their own righteousness. I'm so good. I earned this white robe. Mine's a little whiter than yours, actually. No, it's all God's doing, right? he provides the clothing in heaven. And why are they waving palm branches? Palm branches goes back to two things. Number one, it goes back to the triumphal entry. Do you remember? Palm branches in those days were emblematic of victory in a battle for unbelievers, okay, for the world. But in Judaism, they had great meaning in the Feast of Tabernacles. Palm branches were used. Um, so this is a celebration. Let's talk about um, what what's going on here. So the white robes are the righteousness and also priestly service. Priests wore white robes. Um, so they are praising God somewhere in my notes. I have the whole Feast of Tabernacles thing. I don't see it here. But in any case, uh, oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Notice that these people, the 12,000 from every tribe, they have their identity. What do you mean? I mean, when you get to heaven, I think you will know Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, certainly Jesus, and your saved loved ones. We won't be like wondering who is who am I, who are all these people? They retain their identity. Um They're joyful, there's a throne and someone's on it and there's someone ruling and nothing's random about what goes on in the earth. Uh, We talked about that. So they're praising God for salvation and deliverance in the tribulation we'll see. Okay, here's the Feast of Tabernacles, Old Testament. Feast of Tabernacles was the happiest of the feasts in the Jewish religion. It was blessing from the harvest, great joy, multitudes entering rest. Um, and palm branches were used. Feast of Tabernacles was a bunch of temporary shelters you would put up to remind the Jews of when they were wandering in the wilderness. No more tempering temporary tabernacles or shelters. I'll show you in a second. Let's keep rolling. Verse 9, the great multitude every tribe and nation they're standing before the throne and before the lamb they can stand they're worshiping they're wearing white robes holding palm branches it's a huge party huge celebration they cried out all of them in a loud voice verse 10 salvation belongs to my good works and what a great spiritual dude i am is that what it says it doesn't say that in your bible no me either they cried out you guys are all reading going what translation is he reading New, New International Shireno version. Um, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. They're, you know what they're saying? The only reason we're here? Because of him. Wasn't me. Wasn't my good works. Wasn't how holy I was. Certainly not for me. We're all here because of God's plan executed by the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, palm branches. Okay, we know we already did that. Um, All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. Remember the 24 elders? And the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces. That's the proskuneo, the act of worship, falling on your face before the throne. And they worship God saying, amen, which means so, so be it or let it be. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Look at those words. They're just praising God. Praise, glory, it's certainly all His glory, His wisdom, far above our wisdom, and thanksgiving or thanks. We owe Him how much? Everything. 10% wrong. Everything. Thanks and honor. Who could be more honored than God? Power, all power and strength is his. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Starts and ends with an amen. Somebody there must have said, say amen. And that's why they said it twice. (laughs) Making sure they're awake, you know. Um, Okay, so now we have question number two. Who are these people? We got the 144,000. We're not sure about them. Joe might be wrong. But who are these people? other folks. Okay. God knows that John's seeing the vision, but John's a human being, and he's just watching everything, writing everything down. God wants John to know who these people are. So in a kind of a humorous way, verse 13, then one of the elders asked me, that's John, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And John, if I was John, verse 14 would say, you're asking me, right? He says, I answered, sir, you know, like, what are you asking me? You know, you're one of the 24 elders around the throne. You hang around up here in heaven. I'm just visiting, watching, blown away by what I'm seeing. You're asking me? It must be important. So please tell me, he's saying, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of. The great tribulation jesus coined the term in matthew 24 the great tribulation hasn't there been tribulation and trouble and persecution for christians all along yes but that's not the great tribulation if you're having tribulation because of health problems marital problems family problems uh you know whatever it may be money problems job problems i'm sorry for you pray to god he will be with you through it like he is here but that's not the great tribulation. Jesus describes it Matthew 24. We did that last week. The book of Revelation describes it. It's like no other time on planet earth. These people are believers in the Lord Jesus. Here's the answer. For once, they tell us, right? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. So they're specific to that time frame. Still future. It goes back to Daniel 9, I think it's verse 27. Seven-year period. The final seven-year period. First half isn't that bad. Second half's unbelievably bad. They've come out of the great tribulation, so we know that if the tribulation starts tomorrow, you might be one of these people. Me too. If it starts in a hundred years, sorry, I doubt any of us are going to live that long. Right? I don't know that I'd want to. Anyway, who else are they? Elder. They're, they've come out of the great tribulation. Okay. And they have washed their robes. Here comes the laundry tip for you ladies. They've washed their robes and made them white in the bleach of Clorox. No. They've made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, if you know anything about clothing, you know anything about blood, can I get an amen? Blood stains, man. You can kind of get it out, but Lena, it's still there. I can't wear that again. What would you say? Especially white, right? Red, you could get away with it, right? Blood cleans garments. By the way, I got news for you. These people came to Jesus with filthy, dirty, gross garments. Their sin, you're wearing your sin, your your spiritual condition. And they washed their bloods of all things They've washed their garments, I mean, in blood. How so? All through the Bible, God says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. So if you're going to pay for sin, there has to be Death. I said last week, I'll say it again. When you read, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, that does not mean just the red stuff in his veins. Because if we're saved by his blood, then he could have cut himself and poured some blood around, put a band-aid on it, and that would have been it. When you read the blood of Jesus saves us, it means the death. He shed his blood to the point of death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's sins. That's in Hebrews, it's in the Old Testament. It's a fact in spiritual matters. They've come out of the Great Tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Every Jew would think back to, oh, Passover, the lamb. Remember, yeah, we used to sacrifice a lamb for our family. It had to be a perfect lamb, no blemish. Meaning Jesus was without sin. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking when he's baptizing and stops everything and says, Behold, the what? The singular Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember? He's the Lamb. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Question Did these people live through the tribulation or are they martyrs? who died in the tribulation well wait a minute if they died in the tribulation did they die from god's wrath and the rocks falling on them and the heat and the no if they died during the tribulation and a lot of scholars think so these are martyrs then they died from antichrist not from the natural things uh, or uh, supernatural things god was doing on planet earth um Uh, A lot of people think these people came all the way through the tribulation, but it says they came out of the tribulation. Um, They were in the tribulation. They came uh, out of it. Um, Isaiah 1.18, going way back, 800 years-ish before Jesus. Listen, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool going back, facing this scripture. Uh, We already talked about that. Um, At least some of them, most scholars said, are martyrs that came out of the great tribulation. They died because Antichrist said, or his people, renounce Jesus and get the mark on your hand or forehead, or we're going to kill you. And they said, go ahead and kill me. Now, listen, I know this is morbid. I don't mean to freak anybody out, Built into every human being is a thing called self preservation, right? That's why if you throw a baseball at me and I see it coming, we have built in, don't we, reflexes, right? Or if you throw a punch at me and I see it coming fast enough, I'm going to try to get out of the way. It's just naturally only a fool would go, let it hit me right here, right? We naturally want to protect and preserve our life. That's not wrong. We ought to. We were given it by God. We ought to use it, whoops, for his glory as long as we can. Our temple of the Holy Spirit is our bodies. However, what I'm going to tell you is that in biblical thinking, God places a much higher value on your spiritual condition and your faith than he does whether you live or die. Martyrs are given special honor have you ever heard somebody say this? What's the worst you could do to me? Throw me in prison, torture me, kill me. For Christians, and only for Christians, it's not that bad. Uh, If a man die, shall he live again, Old Testament? The answer is yes. I believe that if you die, say that again, Vic to live is Christ, says Paul, to die is kind of a bummer. No, it's gain. Talk about a win-win. If I get to live on, I can live for Christ. If I die, it's gain. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but my sin's been dealt with. So even though if I drop dead of a heart attack in 10 minutes, you're going to watch me die, but for me, I believe it will feel like It didn't even feel like I, like, if you talk to me a hundred years from now in heaven, you run into me somewhere, I'll be in the ghetto probably in some, but anyway, it was sweeping floors. You guys will have palaces probably. How did it feel when you died? And I'll say, you know what? It didn't even feel like anything. It felt awesome. Graduation, a whole new, shedding this body and being with the Lord Jesus. It was the greatest part of my life on planet earth. I'm not saying go kill yourself tonight like Jim Jones or anything weird. I'm just saying to live as Christ. Good one, Vic. You get an A for the day, by the way. To live as Christ. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> to die is gain. You still have a stained garment like me though. Okay. Um now that everyone's confused, let's keep rolling, shall we? Um Listen, uh no, we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Okay. Uh John has to know who these people are. They came out of the tribulation, they're saved, they wash their garments. Um uh, yeah, we talked about that. Okay, not Clorox, blood. It's the only thing that takes away, takes away sin. Um there verse 15. Is that where we were? Thank you. Uh at my age, I need reminding. Therefore. They are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them, tabernacle them with his presence. No more temporary dwellings. Okay, where are they again? The best place in the universe. They're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night. Listen, Isaiah was a really holy dude, Old Testament. He gets a vision of the throne room of God, and you know what happens to him in that second? He falls apart. He falls on his face. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean. What am I doing in the throne room of God? Fast forward, he, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, is going to be there. You're going to meet Isaiah, okay? Now, he's washed by the blood of the Lamb. He can stand in that throne room, and he's not coming apart at the seams. He's like these before the throne of God serving him. And by the way, that doesn't, don't think of that in terms of menial service, although it might be, think of it as priestly service. That's a privilege to do where you just can't do enough for the God that allowed you to be there. They're day and night serving him in his temple. Well, don't they need to sleep? No. In heaven? No. You don't need to sleep. Uh, uh, And he who sits on the throne, that's God, it's also Christ, will shelter them with his presence. That feeds into the next verse. Shelter them. Because they felt like during the tribulation, we didn't have much shelter. It was tough times out there. Never again, verse 16, will they hunger Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. So this is a picture of what's it going to be like for those seven years? Oh, it'll be fine. You won't even know. Oh, no, it'll be tough, right? If the Antichrist, as chapter 13 says, uh, makes the rule that no man can buy or sell anything unless you have the mark of the beast, Antichrist, on your hand or your forehead then for Christians, we won't be able to buy food. You won't be able to get a PG&E bill or an electric or a gas bill or a water bill. You won't be able to buy gasoline or diesel. You won't be able to do work and get a paycheck or have a bank account or God forbid, no Facebook. Can you imagine? Okay, so what does this all mean? It means it's going to be a very underground economy for believers, where we might be helping each other out and trading turnips for water, who knows, or shovels for zucchini. I don't know. But the point is, they might be homeless. What do you mean? Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them. Why don't they just go in their house? Maybe they don't have one anymore. Can God protect his people through this? Absolutely. Um, Hard times, the worst time in human history, and yet the most exciting time to be alive if you're a believer, I think. Um, They'll never again hunger ever. They'll never again. By the way, there's people that think, and they might be right, that you don't have to eat in heaven. You don't have to sleep. There's no night we're going to read in chapter 21. No night. It's light all day long. Oh, please close the brimes. I want to take a nap. You won't need a nap. You won't be tired. There's those that believe you don't have to eat in heaven, but you can. Example, Jesus rises from the dead, appears to the apostles. Luke 24, they're freaked out. They think they're seeing a ghost. You know what he does to prove to them that I'm not a ghost? Two things. Number one, handle me and see. A spirit ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as you see I have. It's really me. Hey, do you guys have anything to eat? You remember Luke 24? Some fish. He takes the fish, a little filet of fish, McDonald's, they have them, and he eats the fish in front of them to show them, look, it's me. Look, there's a bite out of the fish. I'm not a ghost. Can you eat in heaven? I think you can. You want to skip meals for a couple hundred years? I think you can do that too. Am I sure? No. Okay, let's let's move on. They'll never again hunger, though. Never again thirst. The sun won't beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. There might have been scorching heat in those seven years. Okay, here it comes. For the lamb, verse 17, at the center of the throne. Wait, the guy that sits on the throne is God the Father, right? Yes. Where's the lamb, Jesus? At the center of the throne. He sits at the right hand of the Father. They're both on the throne? Absolutely. Because he's God? Absolutely. The lamb at the center of the throne, this is beautiful, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beautiful. I mean, implying what? They might've cried some tears on the earth with all that crazy stuff going on. They might've been in some scorching heat and homeless and thirsty at times at hungry, but they have a shepherd. If you haven't done it, It's only six verses. May I encourage you memorize Psalm 23. I did it maybe, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. It's only six verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's not hard to memorize. The thing about it is when you can't sleep, when you're worried, when you're troubled, when you're bummed out, say that to yourself. I say it in bed when I can't sleep to myself, not out loud, my wife would go, hey, The Lord is my shepherd, okay? I I won't do this. I did a sermon here on that psalm, 40 minutes of six verses, Mr. Big Mouth here. The point is, if if I need a shepherd, what does that make me? A lamb, a sheep, helpless, stupid, prone to wander, and we have a shepherd. Did you catch the irony here? Who's the shepherd again in verse 17? The lamb wait, what? The lamb? No, no. A a human being would be the shepherd to protect. The lamb is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is our shepherd. It's so beautiful. What does the shepherd do? Protects the sheep, provides for the sheep, corrects the sheep when they're wrong, um, defends the sheep, directs their paths, corrects, directs, protects, right? And more. Feeds them, uh, protects them from enemies, from harm it's beautiful Th- though i either yeah, i walk through this valley of the shadow of death not run screaming walk i will fear no evil why because you are with me your rod and your staff yeah anyway um psalm 23 that's your assignment read it memorize it if you can't remember it don't show up next week because you won't get in the door just kidding the lamb at the center of the throne is going to be their shepherd. He's going to lead them to springs of living water. Remember, Jesus had the living water in John. I think it was John chapter 7. Offered them living water. He offered the woman at the well living water. Lead them to springs of living water where they'll live forever. Okay, here's a weird one, and then we'll quit. You still awake? Say amen. A weird, little weird. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see that? Remember when you were a little kid, dad's at work, You fell down, you're crying. Nobody could fix it like mom. Remember just, it's okay, honey, right? But it hurts, right? He wipe away your tears. Okay, now this is a little controversial, not gonna sell this one too hard, but there could be something else going on here. Wipe away every tear, no more sorrow, no more pain, In Revelation 21, in the eternal state, Revelation 24, no sorrow, no pain, no tears in heaven. You know that Eric Clapton song? No tears in heaven in the eternal state. Very tender love here. But some people have said, wait a minute. If I'm in heaven and it's awesome and I'm with Jesus and I know my sister isn't there or my best friend from college or high school, or my brother or my son or my daughter. Sorry, I'm going to cry. Some say to that, well, but when you realize up there and you know fully the ultimate justice of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, his absolute fairness and judgment, you'll get over it. I don't know. Be pretty hard. Or my parents, my mother, God forbid, or my father. I think they're there already, waiting for me. No hurry, mom and dad. I'll get there. In Isaiah 65, and we'll close with this. Isaiah 65, there's an unusual verse, and I know we're running a little late, so I'll go quick. Isaiah 65 might cover this, and it's it might make you uncomfortable. Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, Behold, God talking, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Sounds like Revelation chapter 21. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Some people think that in order for it to be heaven in its fullest sense, we will not remember the unsaved ones that aren't there i don't know um i want to remember him but maybe in order to wipe away the memory the tear he's got to take away the memory i won't sell that one too hard it might not be true next week cuz we're done we're going to talk about a bunch of paradoxes about jesus cuz one of them we just read the lamb's going to be the shepherd what the lamb is a shepherd let's close with prayer and we'll get out of here Father, we're so thankful for your word, thankful for this time we can meet together and fellowship, those of us that are here. God, we're thankful that there is a throne, that you're there, that there's nothing random about planet Earth, that you protect the ones you love from your wrath because you're God, and you can. Thank you for the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who saves us, washes us by his blood, his sacrifice. We seek to live to your honor. Help us to obey and do so. May these things change the way we live, Father. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope to see you next week. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's the most important thing. Those of you that are on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here.